Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode number 264. My name is Brando. Coming up in just a moment, the Hall of Famer Nancy Wilson of Heart. Wow. She has a new record coming out. It is entitled You and Me. It is coming out May 7th, and it features uh, on one track at least, uh, Duff McKagan and Taylor Hawkins of the Foo Fighters. And we'll get into that, of course, with our GNR, our Six Degrees of GNR Bacon. And then after that, for Appetite for Discovery, where we talk about new music, new bands, new artists, or new projects, we're going to speak to Todd Michael Hall. If you don't know who he is, you're going to learn a lot about him, and uh, we're going to have a fun conversation about Axel's vocals. But first, as I connect uh, via Zoom to just just audio to Nancy Wilson. Hi, Nancy. It's an honor and a, it's a pleasure and a privilege to speak with you. Oh, look at your cat. I see your cat in your picture there. <laughs> I was hoping you would. One of three. One of three. But uh, hopefully they won't step on my microphone or anything and, and disconnect us. <laughs> it has happened right. before. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I've got four dogs here, so I get you. Okay. Right on. Right on. So other than just controlling your, your dogs, of course, I want to talk about your, your new album, uh, You and Me. You said a couple very interesting things in the press release that you wanted to reconnect with your pre-heart self and perhaps it took this long because you were stuck in the heart vortex so i was wondering if you can elaborate on that a little bit i found that fascinating well yeah you know um the you know we have really good problems with the band heart because we were always on the road and that's you know basically what um all a band like heart really can you know that's the most lucrative thing a band like heart can still do in the current climate of the industry so um we've been able the, the last heart tour was really successful and like a 58 show show tour and um you know it, it went so wonderfully and then then came the shutdown pretty soon thereafter and because we'd been out so much for so long you know, usually on a break, I would be home for a little while. I would do my laundry. I'd cook some food, repack my suitcase with clean clothes, open my mail and, mm. you know, go meet the tour bus and, and skedaddle again and go on the road for another month or two or three or six total. And um, so, you know, it's just a life where when you're home, you you don't have the time really to rest your hands and rest. The last thing I would want to do would pick, be pick up a guitar on a break. So this is like a real break, you mm. know, because of the shutdown, which I, I would have had to take a sabbatical and, you know, forsake my paycheck in order to make <laughs> a solo. So, um, which I would have done because I'd been itching to do it for a long time, but, and asked about it. But yeah, so this was like a blessing inside the larger curse because I had this time on my hands, plus a new beautiful music space in a new house. We moved to Northern California um, out of L.A. And 
it's just um, nice and peaceful here. And, you know, I have an, another space apart from the actual house itself where I could leave all my stuff out, leave the guitars out, leave the amps out, everything's plugged in and set up. And I could just leave my mess exactly the way I want it and make as much noise as I want to make without disturbing <laughs> anybody in the main house. So, so it was like a reconnection to my, you know, college girl self because I took a, I took a couple year, a year and a half off before I joined Heart. I had an open invitation, a standing invitation to join, but I had the idea that I wanted to get some experience in, you know, put some some cool tools in my tool belt hmm. um, from the university before I joined the rock band. That makes sense. <laughs> like sure. join the army, see the world, you know. <laughs> so I. I went to university and did creative writing and some some music theory and a lot of literature stuff and it was it was really useful and it was really beneficial by the time I joined Heart which I when I was like 21 um yeah I had more tools in my toolkit so mm -hmm. I, I kind of felt like going back to that same place where I was looking at my some of my note, old notebooks and some of my resource materials and you know various inspiring things to kind of leaf through and it kind of went, went from there. <laughs> right on, right on. So then when you had this time, and obviously you, the amount of people that you've worked with and toured with over the years is, uh, I, I can't count, we would be here for too long. So when you <laughs> decided to, you know, which one of your famous friends to sit down and help you with this? How did you go about, oh, I want Sammy Hagar, oh, I want Duff McKagan, I want Taylor Hawkins. How did those decisions come about? Well, you know, all of those decisions are um, sort of grew from relationships that al already exist. Like with Sammy Hagar, for example, we're already friends. He's been really close friends from with my husband Jeff because they both were Marin boys, you know, mm. together. And and then I got to know him pretty well. Did a bunch of things with them, and we shared various stages and um, did shows and stuff together. And when I approached him to sing from my album, he said, whatever it is, it's got to be something unexpected, hmm. like not a big rocker. So I said, well, what about the boxer? And he's like, I love the boxer. Hmm. So, and he was actually a boxer. So now he's, he is the boxer in the song, <laughs> the boxer. He's, he's the perfect boxer in the song. So with, um, with Taylor Hawkins and Duff, I sang for Taylor's solo record recently called Get the Money, great record actually. And I said, when I started my album, I said, what have you got, do you have any jams, you know, dude, you know, laying around? Cause I could use a rocker on my album. He said, me and Duff have this thing. And he sent me this cool jam and I made it into a song. So, oh. and then, uh, yeah, so I mean, it's stuff like that. It's just friendships. Okay, that's interesting because it was a, I guess, a song that Taylor and Duff had worked on, I guess, privately, and then they approached you with it. I guess when you inquired, they like, oh, here, they already had worked on something. They'd already like done a, done a jam that was just uh -huh. sort of in the back pocket. Okay. And I said, okay, I'll fix this up into a song, you know, so, but I sort of, they just had something kind of laying around because they were, they just loved to play together, I guess. Because it's such a fun track. That one is called Party at the Angel Bathroom. And, and hearing it, 
Like, you really hear the influences of Guns N' Roses, the Foo Fighters, and Heart in one. I'm like, this would be a, a cool <laughs> band, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know what... I mean, now I know we're focusing on the, the solo album, but I, I hope there's more collaborations like that in the future. It's it's actually ballroom, just just to be clear. Oh, what did I say? What did I say? You said bathroom. I said bathroom. I oh my god. Would be a really good title too. You know? Oh man, I'll, I'll, even more. I'll more blame the lack of sleep. I'll blame I don't know. I'll blame COVID or something. That party at the Angel Ballroom. Maybe it should have been bathroom. I don't know. But okay, it's even you. more. You know, like hey, rocking man. Oh brilliant. But, um, no, it's yeah, it's kind of a power group. You know. Um, by default, but uh, you know, um, I have a lot of rock bands. I guess that's one of them because mm. I've played with those guys. I played with Nuno Bentoncourt and Taylor Hawkins and some other guys for this thing called um, At Home and Personal, um, and it was for like the Crew Crew Nation benefit that okay. we did. We did a, a version of Barracuda with Liv Warfield, who was in another band I'm in, um, uh, Roadcase Royale, you know. So all of us, like, we kind of, we find each other in various groups. It's a, like modular super groups that we can all, it's a very Seattle ethic thing, too. Mm. In Among Seattle players, there's less of a competitive uh, vibe among the Seattle players, there's a lot more of a, you know, support system there and a brotherhood there. Wow. That's now that I think about it and, and all the artists and, and bands that come from there, that makes, yeah. that makes complete sense. Complete sense. Yeah. You I, know, yeah. I know I only have you know for another minute or so. And I, I, I know we've, you've spoken about and obviously this song uh, dedicated to Eddie Van Halen for Edward. I, I yeah. want to know, how do you even sit down and be like, I want to put something dedicated to my friend Eddie. How do you do that? Where does that start to pay tribute? Well, you know, somebody, someone from um, from, the rec, from the management company, Red Light Management, said, you really should do an, a solo instrumental piece for your new solo album. And I said, okay, I will write something and I will dedicate it to, to Eddie. And then I went, oh no, what did I just say? I was going to do that? And <laughs> so mm. I instantly regretted it. And then I had to live up to it. And so, you know, I, a long time ago, he had, I'd given him his first acoustic guitar and he called me the next early morning, um, still dark early morning and said, wow, listen, I played, I've made up this cool instrumental on this guitar you gave me. And, and it was so beautiful that, you know, I'll never forget it. So that's what I was trying to channel when I was writing for his tribute song for him for Edward um, I wanted it to be almost classical with some rock and then some classical elements like you know his writing always had a major almost classical structure sometimes so um, yeah that's how I finally screwed up my confidence enough to, to get that done well it, it was brilliant the whole record I listened to it is, is brilliant uh, just congratulations and I hope we get to do this again Nancy thank you so much for your time Oh, thanks so much. Really appreciate it, Brandon. Thank you for having me. Thank you. <laughs> I can't believe I said uh, I didn't. Obviously, I kept going on with the the sentence, not realizing what the hell I just said. I had no idea. <laughs> oh man. 
Oh man, thankfully she just didn't hang up on me. Oh, what a what an amateur. I mean, because that's happened. I mean, for those of you who listen to the podcast, this is why you listen. Yeah, you know, I'm so honored to speak with Nancy Wilson. It's a privilege, you know. And she does. She's obviously making doing a lot of interviews now, promoting. But what other interview is she? First of all, going to be like talk about cats? I mean, this is we connected on Zoom. If that wasn't uh, obvious, but we there was no video, so my my picture is is me where if you if you watch the zoom videos it's me in my apartment with all my guns and roses stuff in the background and one of my cats is staring right at the webcam while i'm looking at the computer so it's just really funny and i decided to make that my profile picture (laughs) and uh, i you know what i knew it was a conversation starter you know if i'm not doing video i want them to see who i am and and see what i'm about and they got that (laughs) so right off the bat it was fun but uh, so that was on purpose party in the angel bathroom was not on purpose i if she didn't laugh and the uh my, my buddy uh the producer who just connected us uh bill just said he fell on the floor laughing when i said that <laughs> hopefully you did too anyway we got to get uh, composed because right now we are moving on to uh, a, a great segment hopefully no uh, bathroom talk here it is uh, time for appetite for discovery I just want very appetite. That's the goal. Very appetite. For discovery. So appetite for discovery. And I'm really excited to talk to today. I believe no relation to Anthony. Todd no, Michael no. Hall. I'm <laughs> sorry. Right away. Right away. I didn't want to ask you that off the air. I wanted a genuine reaction. Well, you have to be of a certain age to even get that reference, I think. So. I, everyone should know Anthony Michael Hall. I mean, at least know The Breakfast Club. I mean, you might not know yeah, yeah. Weird Science. I'm assuming no I, relation. I, I, I'm more, I think I more know him from Weird Science, you know, probably. But yeah, Breakfast Club too, I guess. Yeah, Weird Science, of course. Sorry, sorry. Let's, we, well, we won't go down that road. Todd Michael Hall. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. So if you aren't familiar, Todd Michael Hall is from, uh, he's a lead singer from the band uh, Riot 5. And Riot goes back to the 80s and much like many bands that we know go through lineup changes, but Todd has been the singer for, for Riot 5 for quite some time. And you may also know him from The Voice. Uh, what was it? Season eight? 18. 18. My yeah. goodness. Because this is where kind of my, my podcast meets my, my real life. So we do radio tours for people promoting books and albums and things of, of that nature. So we every year do tour voices. Uh, to, uh, Tour, yeah, voice tours. I guess that's the way I want to trying to say it. Of just people on. I guess I don't know if you were, you were you ever on any of those that we did with Premier Radio Networks. I, I was, yeah. I mean, I was. I, I got some interviews like that. Yeah, where they line you up and yeah, you get this person and get this person, get this person. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I don't. Maybe we worked together in the past. Maybe it was one of my coworkers. So that's great. But we're gonna speak for a little. Uh, longer than that today because you have a new solo album your for your debut solo album even though you're kind of a veteran right yeah that- i mean yeah i actually have a, a little solo album that i put out independently but it was like it was like a bunch of pop letters i met my wife as a pen pal she's from the northeastern part of india and i put out an album called letters from india and i released it kind of more locally but i mean um and uh but it was all the proceeds went to charity and stuff and it was it was like real light pop and stuff and and piano only ballads and things so it wasn't really rock and roll todd i guess you'd say so this is really more my first solo album i guess you'd say okay i, I like that the rock and debut of uh, of rock and roll todd so i'm just excited to talk to you because 
you know, you, you have such a unique history and a love of classic rock. Obviously, it's, an, it's the right place for you to talk on, on this show. So if you can kind of, for those who don't know you and like on The Voice, they always give you a background and your story. Can you kind of, because you're from Michigan, right? You're, cause I be- yeah, I, I, I'm from Michigan, you know, and I've, I've been into the, the scene for, man, it's like it's insanely long time now. Because I had an older brother that was in bands. And so in 19... 19- 84 i actually played out for the first time and that was uh i was only 15 years old um and so uh or yeah yeah 1984 1985 in that area and uh and so i mean i've just been doing this for a long long time and um went through a lot of what i would call the the golden day days of live music and live rock music certainly in the 80s and so i have a lot of experience with that and um you know from from there uh you know, in the, in the mid nineties, I mean, the trouble I had is I did well in school. So I went to college thinking, yeah, when I'm done with college, I'll really focus on rock and roll. And the problem is I graduated in 1991 from the university of Michigan. And that's kind of when the, the, the rock and roll landscape really changed massively. Sure. Knows their history. That's when the grunge came in and kind of really just, we were, and, and I think a lot of musicians that were around in the eighties, you just, you just kind of got confused there for a while. Like, am I supposed to wear plaid or am I wearing leather? What am I wearing? <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty funny. I know. So. Even for me, and, and you know, I'm, I'm a tad younger. I'll be 38 later the, this year. But 91 obviously was a very impressionable uh, year for me. But I love the grunge and the hair metal. So I have this weird style where I will, you know, wear a poison T-shirt with, uh, you know, uh, and then a flannel over it. So I'm also yeah, kind yeah. of uh, confused with. It. But it's it's as long as it's good music, that's all that matters. So. What well, I, think, I think the funny part, too, is I go back so far that, like, I have these influences from the 70s, you know, too, you know, like when Foreigner and Rush and Boston and Ariel Speedwagon and Sticks and and those really aren't hair metal. Those are just rock. You know? right. and, then, and then as we got in the 80s, you know, you had the power metal that kind of started out in the early 80s and stuff. And then and the party metal. And then it turned into hair rock, maybe when Poison was out. And I, I don't even know what they consider hair metal anymore. We all had long hair back right? then. Right. <laughs> Some of us still do. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good to see. You you, you look young. You know, you look like you're a fresh-faced kid because you have all your hair, which I do yeah, not, I despite being younger. So <laughs> it, doesn't matter. it doesn't matter. So with all this influence, and uh, yeah, we're just doing the audio version of it. I can see your influence just on, because we're looking at each other, just so, you know, to keep it personal. On your wall, you have so many different pictures of, of bands and artists and stuff. So what makes up this debut rock solo album of Todd Michael Hall? What kind of sounds are we going to get to get? I mean, really, when I put it together, what I was shooting for is what I call old school rock, and I call it classic rock inspired. And, uh, you know, I was just shooting for the time when I was younger, when basically rock music was all over the radio. There was just a really positive, energetic vibe about all the music. Like, it was a party, you know what I mean? Um, and, and. You know, everybody wanted to go see bands play live. It was cheap to see bands play live because they made money off the albums. They didn't have to make money off the touring as mm. much. And, and you know, everybody was excited and wanted to get behind stage and whatnot have you. Just that sort of environment, you know. You, you knew all the, oh, my God, Eddie Van Halen and David Lee Roth. And, you know, you knew all the artists by name because, you know, they, they you know, I don't know. They were just like these guys. And you also didn't know much about them. So every, like, you know, you'd study the album covers and, You'd read the magazines because you wanted to know more about these people that were kind of almost mythical creatures. Whereas, you know, nowadays everything is so there. You know, you you know what they eat for breakfast that morning with their regular posters on you know social media. So yeah, 
Unless, and I think that's the allure of, of doing a GNR podcast because no one's really heard from Axl Rose in a year. We, we don't yes. know what he's doing. He's alive. We know that. that, that that's about it. Uh, so what were your, well, what was your first concert that you saw? Like, What, what were your, your first impressions on you as a kid that really has stuck with you throughout this time? Yeah, my first concert was actually Ted Nugent. Mm. Um, okay, and, and makes sense. Not, I Local. Because I was only like 13 or 14 and... Uh, my, my brother's band always played in the basement even before I got in the band. And so my mom just, you know, she's always loved music, but we really just turned her into a hard rock and heavy metal fan. So, so yeah, my first concert was with my mom at like, I don't know, 13 or 14. I went to see Ted Nugent and it was a great concert. So that's cool. Was your mom just there to, you know, uh, have you experience rock and roll or was she, you know, singing, I mean, I, I don't want to get fresh, but was yeah, she singing yeah. Sweet, Wang Dang, Sweet Poontang? Was she singing along yeah, yeah. to that? I, you know, she was like, I don't know that she knew all the lyrics, but because <laughs> my brother was playing the albums in the house, she definitely knew the songs. And she just loves great music. I sure. mean, she, she, she's got a really wide range. I don't think she listens to a whole lot of rap music, but I mean, she listens to everything. I remember when we, I was younger, we, you know, we had the eight track cassette player and one minute it would be Tom T. Hall. Then, then it would be like bread, the best of bread album. Then you'd have the deep purple album and then a Rolling Stones. I mean, it was amazing. The, the variety that we had. So what was like when you said, you, you told me we went to college and you know, like, and, and uh, sometimes that can be conflicting with uh, like for me, I went to college, but yeah, did it help with radio? I mean, it, it depends. I mean, yeah, mine did. I, I know it doesn't for everybody. I know people who didn't go to college and are in radio, and I don't know. It's everyone has a different path and story, of course. So, what was, an, along your path, when you said, "Okay, this is going to be my career. This is my path." What was the the band and say, "Okay, this is where it started. This was my first band that I took seriously." I think for me, I'm almost like my my trouble was I was almost the opposite in the sense that I was always like okay, well, I know I want to have a degree that, that I might be able to get a job in. So my degree is actually in business administration. Cool. And and as far as deciding to make my career as a musician, I kind of almost basically never made that decision. Like I kind of thought I wanted to, but the trouble is, is like I was waiting for some record label to swoop in and, and turn me into something because that's what it was like back in the day. And and it was tough to make that happen for, I didn't help that I was in Saginaw, Michigan, not the biggest town. And we would play a lot in Detroit and stuff like that. It was just hard to get discovered back then. You know, back then the record labels were the key to everything, it seemed. Um, whereas nowadays, you know, there's so many ways to promote yourself that, that can be different. And I, I would say for me, I'm in this spot now where I, I invested a fair amount of time in my own career running our, the family business and our manufacturing company that I've been doing. Actually, this this April, last week was 30 years, wow. 30 years that I've been working here full time and actually 37 since I started when I was 14 years old. So like for me, I'm actually at the point now where I get to pursue music now more because I have I have more uh, flexibility with mm -hmm. my job. And and like a lot of musicians, like I don't make my living off of it, you know, so I, I can pursue it. I pursue it more as a passion. I call it a passion project. And it's, it's tough. And I think that helps because, you know, when you have to pursue it for money, maybe there's certain decisions you make that I don't necessarily have to make, you know. That makes sense. And I, I recently spoke to another uh, Michigan guy, uh, Lee from Pop Evil. And, yeah, he had to get, since he didn't take your path, you know, he they just got discovered. and But now during this, this difficult time and where we weren't touring, you know, he famously said that they had to get regular jobs to support themselves because they don't have that flexibility that that yeah. you have so with that flexibility 
is that when you made the decision to go on The Voice? What comes along with going on and doing that, making making that leap? Well, I think what happened is like when I got in Riot in 2013, we started playing some shows and also we played more and more. And like I even went on my first tour bus tour in like October of 2018, where I was I was we had 25 shows over 30 days over in Europe. And so what happened is I just got the business to the point where like I'm not really doing the day to day stuff so much Uh, as the president. I'm a little more on the strategic end. And obviously with phones and emails and stuff, you can easily stay in contact people I even can take a laptop with me and and I think what happened is that just it it showed me that you know if you want to pursue your passion a little bit you can take a little time away from work you know especially because you can still stay in touch you know a bit and I think that's where the the notion of the voice came in and and that's one of the funny things that people don't realize is to be on the voice you you need a supportive situation because you have to take I mean I had two different and, and I was out by the knockout round, but I I had two different instances where I was there for like three weeks, mm. you know, and, you know, most people can't get, you know, six weeks off of work, you know, and especially you're not exactly getting paid a lot. They give you a little bit, but uh, it's not not like, you know, a whole lot, you know, depending on what you're used to making, I guess. Is that experience, you know, as we've over the course of the podcast, we define what success means, but I want to also define my God, I'm getting too philosophical. What is, what's the meaning of is, is, you know, but was it worth it to, I guess, have that experience? Because, you know, I mean, yeah, to go through all of that, was it, was it worth it other than, yeah, it's on your resume. It sounds cool, but was it, was it taxing? I I mean, on one hand, you look at it and you say, wow, God, can I be away from work this long? Can I do this or that? And, but what is you know life is ultimately about experience sure it really is um you know you can have things but you you know i mean whatever i mean i don't know i'm not a terribly material person i i'm not that excited about things um and i tend to be more of a saver and i'm always worried about you know whatever my retirement or whatever (laughs) um so to me i mean it was an incredible experience and i yeah i mean to me it was totally worth it like on one hand, you could say, well, did it make you this huge star or whatever? Well, I've got a video with, say, 4.5 million views. Well, I, that doesn't mean those people are going to come buy my solo album. No, you know what I mean? So um, I think it remains to be seen how many of those people I could potentially bring over me. But but even so, I didn't necessarily do it because of that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It, it gives you that bump, but at, at the same time, I mean, God, man, I got James Hale, James Taylor tipped his hat to me and said, man, your, your range is a rare gift. Well, I mean... <laughs> 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 you know, I don't know how many how many people can say that, you know. Exactly. So, I, mean, I think you know, and not in terms of even bragging, of just the notion of the experience to be able to stand next to and and James Taylor and Blake are both really tall guys too, but to stand there with them and talk to them for ten minutes about you know music, ask you know James a few questions, and and to talk to them as a fellow musician, that's pretty mind blowing, you know. I mean, that's pretty pretty incredible experience and and like i don't put people up on a pedestal like oh my god i want to lick your boots or anything but you know what i'm saying it's still it's really yeah. cool it's like you know how often you get that opportunity and then just the notion of experiencing that television production at that national level and seeing all the behind the scenes stuff and i mean when i was going from the 
I was in the, you, you go to, there's like the makeup people you go to, and then you go to wardrobe. And when I was, when they handed me clothes to go over and try, and I walked across the hall to go to the fitting rooms, I, I almost ran into Ted Danson, you know what I mean? So it's like little <laughs> stuff like that. Sure. that you're like, oh, hey, you know, like I remember you from Cheers way back when, you know, um, you know, just little things like that, you know. Oh, that, kind of I, I, I love it. Yeah. See, the, that's the answer I was expecting from the little I know of you now, because I can tell you're somebody who appreciates the ride and the experience. And that's what it is all about because for me with those singing competitions which you know i get it if you're a part of it but as a as a viewer obviously they're still super popular i'm in the minority uh but i i was on the american idol kick when it first started and especially when the people at the beginning you know because it's kind of like a car crash and then you get to those and it was reminiscent of the uh decline of western civilization part two those people who are like i'm gonna win i'm gonna make it i'm convinced and it's like those people, it's like, I, I, I think it's like, I couldn't stand the delusion anymore. And I, so I guess I got turned off to, to that, but yeah, there's obviously still amazing singers. And thankfully, uh, singers like you bring rock and metal to those kind of, those kind of shows. That's another reason why I was turned off. I'm like, I don't know how many times can I hear someone sing, uh, Aretha Franklin, not as good as Aretha. Yeah. So, yeah, that's I think just me. that's one of the tough parts is the shows are, are very geared toward the pop music and not so much to rock. You can see by the song selections you get to pick and stuff, you know, but the thing is the one thing I would say about the voice is they, their vibe is all about making the artist shine, having you look good, appealing to America. Good. Whereas like American Idol, that, that one tends to be a little more, and I don't mean to slam them, but like there was a contestant on the voice when I was there. And when I was talking to her, she was on American Idol, like a couple years earlier or something. And like, they separate she was only 14 or 15 at the time and they separated her from her family shoved a camera in her face and were like how do you feel now that you've failed and you didn't get on the show you ruined your life and all that like they were trying to make her cry oh my god by being really mean and like they don't do that crap on the voice all right so. all right well I'm, I'm officially a voice fan so so that's all i need to yeah those kind of things turn me off especially exactly you see these little girls or boys that are so talented anyway but they don't make it for whatever reason and you crush their dreams but yeah so it's it's nice to hear your version of it who had such a great experience but i guess here's the natural uh segue of our conversation with the songs that you had to choose from were there any Guns N' Roses? Were you allowed to sing? Was there any Sweet Child of Mine? Are we ever going to hear that on The Voice? Yeah, you know, it's a temptation. But oddly enough, you know, I, I'm very familiar with Axel and, and his voice. And believe it or not, I mean, and I I don't know how much you know about singers, but singers have a pocket that they sing in that's kind of their natural pocket. And it has really nothing to do with whether you're good or bad. It's just where, you know, you, because also when you're in heavy in, in hard rock and heavy metal, you have what's considered your chest voice and you have what's considered your head voice. And now on the, the voice, they, they seem to get confused. Like to me, head voice is like a powerful high as opposed to the falsetto, which where you talk like a girl, you know, mm. talk like a girl, that's falsetto, you know, whereas ah, that's mm. head voice. It's a lot louder. You know what I mean? Mm. And, and so but where your your chest voice starts to break in your head voice, you have a certain break point. And that break point is different for different people. So I'm sorry for the long answer. No, I love it. Please. I don't have a I don't have a great matchup with my voice in Axel Rose's. His his like that sweet child of mine is really taxing for me to sing, even though I can sing much higher than that and lower and all that. Just where his his like money notes, if you will, are not in line with my money notes. So so 
I, frankly, I, I mean, and I've felt that way ever since he came out. I remember when Guns N' Roses originally came out, it was like they just, I don't know, it was weird. They just kind of wiped the market because in one way they were kind of hair metal, but not really because they had this kind of weird sleazy rock and roll thing going. And And what was funny is grunge didn't wipe them away. You know, they still had, they had this appeal that was like, and, and I remember at the time that it was like, it was like a, it was almost like the Beatles or something. It was like they had that kind of vibe. I mean, anybody, because I, I was in bands playing in nightclubs in Detroit at that same time. And the effect that they had was just stupefying, really. It was like, you just couldn't believe how much everyone was like, oh, my God. And you can see it because Appetite sold, what, 20-some million albums or whatever. And so, yeah, no, I it would have been a smart choice to try it uh, from a popularity standpoint, but I don't know if from a singing standpoint it would have been the best best selection for me. No, I appreciate it. I love that answer because I'm not a singer. That's why I went into radio. I, I would love to be a rock star, but I have no talent. <laughs> so I guess if you can break down... Are you able to break down Axel's voice in a certain way? How, do, how does someone like him or any of these artists over, or you over time keep up your voice? You know, because it's not like I'll use Van Halen as an example. I was very fortunate with, you know, thankfully when Van Halen reunited to see Eddie and Dave. And I know Dave was never the greatest singer. And I, I love his, I, I love what he does. And people still, people criticize him though. He didn't, he doesn't, he's not Sammy Hagar. He never was. Yeah. Eddie is, was always Eddie. Like you know, the, the, the guitar doesn't age. The voice box, you know, your voice does age. So, you know, talk about some, sing, you know, Axel and I guess you and how you take care of your voice as, you know, you age and you have to adjust your pocket so to speak yeah, yeah. I, I think really there's kind of a couple things involved in that one it depends on what you do on album because there are things you can do in the studio that you can't really do live so easily and it has to do with like when you sing up in the higher ranges and i'm talking up in the higher ranges that you have to have like air to support it but also like i'm not a trained singer so i can't tell i can do it you know, because I've, I've trained myself, but I don't know how to teach people. But essentially, this is, I don't know if this is technically what it is, but it's almost like you're you are pinching your cords or um, and, and you can only keep them pinched so long in that high range before they start to get vocal fatigue and you really distort it out and you sound horrible. So what you have to do is you need two things. You need one to be able to come back down into lower ranges, do some singing there and or you need breath space. And so a lot of times when you're in the studio, like I think a perfect example and I'm not picking on anybody, but Sebastian Bach, man, that God, that guy's voice is yeah. stupefying on those albums. It's absolutely beautiful. His vibrato is incredible. But you listen to a song like I Remember You, and if you watch him live, and I went back, because that's one I thought about doing on The Voice. I went back mm. and watched him all the way back in the 80s, and ever since they've been playing that song, when it gets to the I remember you, he's always holding the microphone out to the crowd. And the reason is, is because in the studio, when you record that, you're going to record, remember yesterday, walking hand in hand, love letters in the sand. And then you stop singing and then you come back on a separate track and you go, I remember you. And so live, trying to put it all together, you don't have the breath space in there. Yeah. You need to be able to sing it. So that's one issue. The other issue is, yes, there is aging and then how you've used it. So like, 
I haven't necessarily played tons and tons of shows and even Axel, cause they've had a long time where he hasn't had to play shows. So that's probably why his voice is still pretty strong at this point. Whereas if you look at somebody like say Jeff Tate, and I absolutely love Jeff Tate from Queensryche. He's probably one of my big, he probably is my biggest influence, but even with him, you can see where what he put on album was so incredible that trying to sing that to this day is like, Oh my God, like you really, you expect me to be able to pull that off live, mm. especially now that I'm, he's 60, I think. Um, so that's all part of it. So you have to take care. Now for me, I try to stay really fit and really healthy. I also, um, I tend to sing a little quieter live, you know, just to try to maintain my voice. Cause I, with riot, sometimes we're doing two hours and two and a half hours. And a lot of that singing is really challenging. Um, you know, I, I don't, I'm not a druggie. I'm not a smoker, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I, it's really a big ball of wax, you know, what did you do on album and how tough was it, you know? And, and then some people are just mysteries, you know, like you look at somebody like Brian Adams, dare I pick somebody from pop, but like, to me, he sounds raspy. And when you see him singing, he's got these veins popping <laughs> out of his neck. I sat at the front row at a, at a concert with him just a few years ago. So my, my wife absolutely loves him. And I, I've always liked him too. Yeah, Brian so we were there cool. in the front row in the acoustic one where it was just him and a piano and he comes out and he's doing this singing. And the funny thing is I kept thinking his voice is going to be dead by the end of the show. And it's not, it just keeps going because mm. that's what he sounds like. Same thing with somebody like Brian Johnson from ACDC. I can't sound like that on my best day, <laughs> but he does it all day long. So, so there's a lot of weird elements in it. So like, there's no one perfect rule, but as a singer, I can look and appreciate all those different things. That's right, for sure. Right on. And I just want people to appreciate because sometimes I don't know. I, I get defensive of, you know, these uh, our rock star heroes that we all age. We all, it's just, it happens. And it just, it just sucks. Like, yeah, you put out this perfect thing on an album that made you who you are, but there needs to be some breathing room to understand, right? What happens when people get older and still appreciate it for what, what it is, you know? Yeah. You got, you got to cut people some slack. I mean, the reality is, and it depends on what you're going for. Like, you know, there are some music, well, it's not a big deal to sing it. It's going to be easy to sing that for the rest of your life. There are some songs, you look at stuff that Jeff Tate did on, on Operation Mindcrime and those earlier albums, and man, trying to produce that live is 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 very, very difficult. There's a lot of bands like that. Heck, I, I just recently recorded a cover of, of Triumph, Fight the Good Fight. Oh my God, I can't believe Rick Emmett can play a guitar and sing that at the same time live. That song is really difficult to sing. Now, granted, I made it sound awesome, but that's because I sat in my studio and I recorded it over and over again until it sounded awesome. Practice you know? <laughs> makes perfect. Awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, Todd Michael Hall, this was really cool. Sonic Healing uh, via Rat Pack Records. Uh, it comes out, what, May May 7th, I believe? Yes. And, you know, so if you want to go to ratpackrecords.com or what's the best way to reach you on social media? You know, I have a webpage, ToddMichaelHall.com, and that's pretty much what all my social media stuff is uh, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, that sort of thing. Just look for Todd Michael Hall, and you'll probably find me. Oh, cool. Well, this was a very educational and fun uh, conversation, so I really appreciate your time, and I hope we get to do this again. Oh, I appreciate it, and I'm sorry for my really long answers. I, I'm a long talker. <laughs> so. No, I was... I was this was a session i as somebody who's not a musician sometimes i feel really dumb talking about music i'm just a fan and yeah it's i don't play guitar and i so i don't try to pretend to talk tech but with me you know i i've always been a lead singer as a fan a lead singer guy so when i hear you know i get a, a, a chance to be educated about what goes on with the vocal cords and how to you know uh and just like and how some of the greats can do it and sometimes it's just a mystery 
it's just I don't know. It adds to it adds to it all, and just my my, my mission to get people to relax and just enjoy the music. <laughs> that's it. Oh, there's there's definitely a lot to it, and that's one other last thing I didn't really mention is that being able to sing live in front of a loud band. There is, you know, I've been doing it for a very long time, and there's a lot of seasoning experience that goes into it, and a lot of times you project too loud when you're in front of a loud band because they're loud and, and your voice just goes. So like, that's the other thing is learning how to sing live and not ruin your voices. It's, it's, it's a talent. It takes a lot of work, you know? Sure. Well, obviously your, your talent's gotten you this far. So, uh, best of luck with your, your first rock solo debut. You know, again, yeah. your resume is uh, way too long to, to, uh, to summarize. So until next time, uh, Todd, thanks so much. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you, Todd. And again, of course, thank you to, to Nancy Wilson, Icon. Uh, two really fun conversations on this episode, I think. I think you do, too. That's why you're hanging out on this Guns N' Roses-themed bar mitzvah party of a broadcast, right? And don't forget, the conversation continues always online, uh, on social media, facebook.com slash the AFD show, and Twitter, on Instagram, you can always email me at the AFD show at gmail.com. And that's actually the best way, if you haven't heard yet, uh, working on a book with Doug Goldstein, Doug Goldstein's story. And this is a, you know, it's going to be different than I think other authors and other books because I'm really going to bring you along with the process. So I'll, I'll, before this episode wraps up, I'll mention this. It's, you know, it's, it's daunting. You know, I'm, I'm honored and privileged with the, uh, the opportunity to do this, I, I know I can. It's just, it's very, um, it's like, wow. It just doesn't seem real, you know, yet. And it, it's it's not going to seem real until, you know, pages are put together and print. And I, that's just kind of who I am. But I always need that kind of little kick in the butt to be like, you're doing a good job. Like, it doesn't have to be real yet. Just have the confidence. So it comes from odd places sometimes. So Doug is just, he sent me a text yesterday and he's like, you know, a few years ago, I was working, I was going to work on this book with a, a journalist from Rolling Stone, Italy, I believe. So, you know, a journalist from, that works from uh, Rolling Stone, Italy. And he's like, he has some notes and he sent them to me and he's happy that we're working on it now. And you can feel free to use whatever. And I'm thinking, I'm going to look at this thing and I'm going to be, realize how far behind I am and maybe I'm not doing it right or whatever. I look at it, right, and it's nicely structured, you know, kind of just like a very long outline, you know, brackets of what chapters can be and, and maybe like a, a summary or synopsis of what that chapter is going to be about. I We are so far ahead of that. <laughs> we are so far ahead of that. You know, so we have a bunch of recorded hours down that I'm transcribing, and of course I'm just thinking about what the layout is going to be, you know, how to do it, uh, how, to, how to tell Doug's story. And you're going to be along for that ride because, again, send an email if there's a story that you want Doug to tell. Now, there are the obvious ones, of course, but if there is a specific one and you want to, you know, you could possibly be a part of the book. And maybe that's like an idea we didn't think of. You will get credit in the book. We will say questions submitted by, you know, John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. Now that song's stuck in your head. Sorry. Uh, and then same thing goes for photos. If you, a lot of photos out there that uh, are not online because those are the days of, you know, not social media during the user illusion days. So if you have any photos that maybe Doug is in or, or are very special concerts you would like to share and have be in the book and, of course, be credited, again, send me an email, please, 
uh, at the AFD show at gmail.com. As far as what is to come on Appetite for Distortion, well, I did announce this online. So if you do, again, follow online, you would know already that the next episode is going to be Drew McIntyre from the WWE. Former WWE champion, maybe WWE champion again soon. Uh, I am blown away. One of those opportunities I get to have because of my my job. I'm going to be on the phone with him for two hours. Uh, my interview is not going to be 10 minutes, like just like this one. But it's one of those where I'm running his radio tour to promote his new book, his autobiography. And I get my 10 minutes. And I found out that he listens to Guns N' Roses, or at least he did before his WrestleMania match uh, with Brock Lesnar. I hopefully I know there's a there's a crossover with GNR and wrestling, uh, so hopefully <laughs> these names mean something to you. But it means something to me, and it's going to open up hopefully more and more doors uh, to more and more cool people. I mean, Nancy Wilson is amazing. You know, uh, obviously talking to musicians like Todd Michael Hall, amazing. But it, it's the uh, I don't want to call them randos or randoms because, you know, Drew McIntyre is famous, you know, in that world. But just to hear somebody else that you would not expect talk about Guns N' Roses, that is so much fun to do. So stick around. Get Hall of Famers. We got wrestlers. All, all of this on Appetite for Distortion. And it all, of course, centers around the nucleus that is Guns and Fucking Roses. So that does it. For this episode, when will you see, you know, the next episode? When are you going to hear it? Well, the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy. You'll see it, I don't know, as soon as the word. Thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home.